All right. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, we are going to continue on our sermon series that we started a few weeks ago called The God Questions. We started the sermon series and we said, what are some questions that people have about God? What are some questions that people, and they're trying to figure out, man, what does this whole thing with God mean? And, and, and who is God? And, and how, you know, is he real? And, and what, is this, what is this book here, this Bible? What, what is it about? You know, these are questions that people have. And so we said, so well, let's do a sermon series on the God questions. And so that's where this is coming from. And today we're going to deal with, 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 with one of the questions that is, is common with Christianity. And it deals with the church. It deals with people and some of the thoughts and, and, and opinions and beliefs and complaints about the church. Now, I know you guys say, well, there's never any complaints about the church. Uh, no. So, you know, I, we're going to do something a little different here. Let's be a little interactive. What are some complaints that you have heard about the church? What are some things that people say about the church? The drums are too loud. And if, yes. That is a complaint you hear. That's coming from the drummer. <laughs> what are some other complaints you hear about the church? The pastor wears funny shirts. All right. Your mom gave me permission to do something about that later. What's, what's another complaint? A church, anybody ever heard the church is full of hypocrites? Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, that's because you're... Never mind. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. We love you. Thank you for being here today. Uh, I saw a hand over here. Oh, she took yours. Good. What's another complaint about the church? They take your money. You ever heard the church is all about money? We've got two hands here. We'll start on the left. Out of touch with society. That's good. What about judgmental? Church isn't judgmental. Actually, that's a good complaint. Anyone else have a complaint or something you hear negative about the church? Anybody else got anything else? Oh, I see a young hand. What do you got for us? It takes too long. Whoa! Whoa! You've been at Restoration Church a few times, haven't you? Praise God. Praise God. You know, when you, when you talk about the church, you hear so many different things. You hear people say things like this. They'll say, well, well I, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in the church. Well, I love Jesus, but, you know, I just, I don't love the church. The church has all the issues. You know, they say the church is corrupt. It's all about money or it's all about a pastor's ego. And I even heard this once. I, I heard somebody say that when you, when you begin to organize the church, it loses its power. When you begin to organize the church. And so maybe, maybe you've had these kind of a conversations with somebody. Maybe you've held these opinions yourself. Maybe you've said things like, you know, the church is too judgmental and it's too hypocritical and it's too political or it's too negative or it's too homophobic or it's, it's only interested in, in getting your money. Is there stereotyping when we talk about the complaints of the church? I think they're stereotyping with the church. Is there any truth to some of those statements? I think, yes, absolutely, there's some truth to some of those statements. When, regard, when we're talking about the church, though, one of the things when we begin that conversation about the church, I tend to get rather protective. Not defensive, but protective of the church. Protective of the reputation. Protective of, uh, of the reputation and the perceptions that people have about the church. Because as we're going to look at today, we're going to see that the church is called the bride of Christ. It's called the bride of Christ. 
And I become very protective when we're talking about the bride of Jesus. Because that's something very special, very personal. So we're going to, what are we looking at uh, accomplishing this morning? Uh, What are we looking at at doing? We're going to look and see what Jesus has to say about his church. We're going to look at the foundation that Jesus set for the church. So if you have a Bible, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. If you have a Bible, we're in Matthew chapter 16. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, um, we have an usher in the back, Tom. uh, Not in a salmon-colored shirt today. But Tom has a Bible that we'd love to put in your hands. If you need a Bible, just slip your hand up. We'd love to give that to you. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read verses uh, 13 through 20. Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. And this is, uh, this is what it says. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? We talked about this last week. We brought this up in our sermon last week. And they said, the disciples said, well, some say that you are John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then Jesus said to them, he said this, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged his disciples to tell no one that he was a Christ. (laughs) That's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful to be in your house today that we can open up your word and we can say, God, what does your word have to tell us, Lord? Not as what does a pastor have to tell us, but what does your word teach us about uh, what you have to say today? And Lord, I pray that you would give us this heart to hear and ears to hear and heart to understand your word today. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us conviction about the church and about what you've done for us. Lord, we love you and praise you for who you are. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Jesus is hanging out with the disciples, and he said, I will build my church. Now, this is the first time in the New Testament you'll see the word church used. First time you'll see it, and and you've got to picture the disciples. They've never heard this term before. What is he talking about? What is Jesus going to build? We know that the first 30 lives, 30 years of Jesus' life, he was a carpenter with his dad. He worked on a construction crew. So maybe they thought he's going to build something, you know, out of his hands. But Jesus says, no, I will build my church. Now, the word church has two different yet similar uh, meanings. The first, the first meaning for the word church is a capital C church which refers to uh, all the believers in the entire world everywhere. We call this the universal church. This is the expression of the church that includes everyone everywhere, including all the Christians that live in Yakima and all the Christians that live in Yuma, Arizona, and all the Christians that live in Yemen and everywhere everywhere in between. The universal church includes every believer of Christ being a part of this one body called the universal church. The expression of the universal church, it includes uh, those that are physically dead who are now living with Jesus up in heaven. 
And it also includes those who are still living like you and I all across the earth. The universal church is all Christians, men and women, regardless of race, regardless of nationality, regardless of language. We all make up the universal church. And this is the primary tense of what Jesus is speaking about here in Matthew 16. But there's another tense, another meaning, another sense for the word of church. And that is a small C church. This actually small C church is the dominant and most frequent expression of the word church all throughout the New Testament. The, 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 the reference to the local church, the local congregation, the local church, such as you see the expression, such as what we are here today as Restoration Church. We are an expression of the local body of Christ. You see this at Harvest Community Church and, and, and Sun Valley Church and Westside Church and, and Mars Hill Church and, and all these other churches. They are a local body, a local expression of this little C church. And as we read through the Bible, most of the references to the church are going to be this little C church. They're speaking about this local body of, church, body of Christ. The local body of Christ, there's a, there's a pastor named Mark Driscoll. Uh, who's pastors uh, Mars Hill Church, you think church goes long? This guy preaches for like 85 minutes every Sunday. Yeah, wow. And, uh, and, 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 and Pastor Mark Driscoll, he describes the church this way. Here's his quote. He says, A local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord in obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. They gather regularly for preaching and for worship. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They are unified by the Spirit. They are disciplined for holiness. And they scatter to fulfill the great commission and the great commandment as a missionary to the world for God's glory and for their joy. That is what the, the, the local body, the, the small C church is all about. So we're going we're, we're gonna to look and we, we see that there are two expressions for the church. We have the universal church and the local church. And we're going to deal with this issue of the universal church and the local church a little bit later. Um, uh, there's really some good stuff. But before we, we talk about the local church, the universal church, I'm going to look at this text. I want to see what we can specifically learn, uh, what Jesus has to say about the church. Now this text in Matthew 16, there's a lot of fun stuff that we could get into. But we're going to look specifically for what we learn about the church. That Jesus teaches us here. So here in this text, Peter, uh, Peter is, is, is hanging out with Jesus. And Jesus asks his disciples, he says, who do people say that I am? And we talked about this last week. Everybody has an opinion about Jesus. Some people say, well, he was a good teacher. Some people say, well, well he, was a, he was a good example. Some people will say, well, 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 he was a prophet. And others will say, well, he didn't really exist. He's just some, you know, wasn't really real. And, and so Jesus says, all right, that's what other people think about me. Then he becomes really serious. And this is a question he's, he's going to ask every one of us as well. He says, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And, 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 and Peter expresses his faith in Jesus. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You are God. You are Emmanuel, God with us. He says, you are the mediator, the God-man. He said, you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that nobody can have access to the Father except through you. He said, Jesus, this is who you are. This was a very significant question of who do you say that I am? This is the same question that's going to be asked to every one of us. 
And if our answer is, Jesus, you're our teacher. Jesus, you're my example. No, the only thing that matters is, is he your savior? And that is what Peter is confessing. He's saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the God-man. And, and because of that, we worship you. We follow you. We surrender our lives to you. There are eternal implications to this question that we're going to be asked. Who do you say that Jesus is? And so Peter confesses Jesus as a Christ. And notice what Jesus says. Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon. He said, you're absolutely right. And he said, he said, he said Simon, you didn't figure this out on your own. He says, you didn't figure this. God had to reveal this to you. This isn't something that we learn because somebody tells us about Jesus or, or because we read a book about Jesus. No, it says that God has to reveal this to our hearts. And so somebody will say, well, you know, I've read the Bible time and time and time again, and, and I, just, I just don't get it. Because you need Jesus to open up your eyes. You need Jesus to reveal the truth to you. And so, and so Jesus says, Peter, you're right. You're absolutely right. I am the Christ, and God is the one who revealed this to you. And then look at verse 18. This is where we're going to spend the rest of the morning. Jesus says, and I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. See, Jesus is looking directly at Peter. He's looking directly at Peter. and He says, you are Peter and you are the rock. See, the truth is Peter, in a very real sense, is the rock on which the early church was established. Peter was the acknowledged leader of the 12 apostles after Christ was resurrected. He was, he was the, leader, uh, the first leader of the early church. Um, he was the acknowledged leader of the, uh, of the early church. You can see that clearly as, as on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. It was Peter who stood up and began preaching to the people. And as you read through the first several chapters of the book of Acts, you repeatedly see Peter, Peter, Peter. Peter was the, the leader and he was the, the, the rock that the church was built on. But Jesus isn't just saying it's just about you. Jesus is, takes this a little further and equally he said the foundation isn't Peter being the supreme leader of the universal church. He says, Peter, the, 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 the confession that you made, the confession that you made that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, this is the rock that the church is built on. This is the foundation of the church. Number one for us this morning, the foundation of the church is that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. The first thing we learn about the church is the foundation for the church. The cornerstone of the church is Jesus Christ as the son of God. Ephesians 2.20 explains this a little bit further. It says the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. The church is built on leaders. And then he says, with Christ himself being the cornerstone. You see, we can't miss this. Jesus, God in the flesh who came to save us. This is the foundation. This is what the church is built upon. This is the, the cornerstone. This is a piece of the church that throughout all time, throughout all of history, will not change, will not be different. See, the cornerstone is a piece that holds everything together, that prevents it from falling apart. And Jesus is saying, you know what the cornerstone is? Is, is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus Christ, the Savior. The most important piece of the church, the foundation that can never be changed is Jesus Christ. In fact, the mission of the church is an extension of this cornerstone. We know that the mission of the church, we've talked about this numerous times in, in our five and a half months. Jesus said the mission of the church is to make disciples of all nations to proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Our expression of it here at Restoration Church of the mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We're supposed to make the foundation of the church known to the entire world. See, I highlight this confession of Peter as the foundation because it is so easy for churches to get confused. It is so easy for churches to get distracted. I mean, if you were to go online and pull up any church's website, you pull up any church's website, you're going to find any number of reasons as to why churches exist. You're going to see any number of, of reasons that church promotes about what they're about. I mean, you can look and you can see there are churches that say they're all about the supernatural. They're all about the works of the Holy Spirit. You'll see churches that say, you know what? We are all about uh, our, 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 our children's ministry. We have the best children's ministries. And, and, and they build their church around this great children's ministry. There are churches that they are known because they provide resources for, for, the, less, for, for the poor and for the, for the, for the homeless. And, and they become known, and that becomes why they exist, is because they want to go and they want to accomplish this good work in the, in the world. There are churches that are known because they have a, a great worship team, and, and they have the greatest music, musicians, and that's what they're known for. They're, you're nodding your head over here. And, and uh, there are churches... <laughs> there are churches that are known because they, ha- they have such a large crowd or because they have the most magnificent building. And this is becomes, unfortunately, churches get distracted. These things aren't bad in themselves. It's not bad to, to focus on the Holy Spirit. It's not bad to have a good worship team. It's not bad to have a good children's ministry team. But when that becomes what we're known about, when that becomes the emphasis of the church, we're getting distracted from the foundation, from the cornerstone that Jesus gave us. You see, as we look at Restoration Church and we want to say, man, what do, we, what do I want people to say about the Restoration Church? Man, I don't want them to say, hey, they're filled with the Spirit. I don't want them to say, hey, they do such good things in the community. I want them to say, it's all about Jesus Christ. It's all about a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ because that is our foundation. That is why we're here. This is why a group of us said, hey, let's go plant a church downtown. Not so we could say, hey, we've got the Holy Spirit really, really cool. Come and join us. No, so we could proclaim Jesus Christ and people's lives would be changed through a relationship with him. That is why we exist. That is our foundation. Look, there's a lot of good things about churches, a lot of good things we can do. I mean, obviously, we're going to go and we're going to love on the, on the neighborhood around Restoration Church in a couple weeks. And that's good. But you know what? I don't want to be known for doing good things. I want to be known for proclaiming Jesus Christ. The reason we do that, the reason we love the neighborhood is so we can proclaim Jesus Christ. Let's never get distracted from the foundation, from the cornerstone that Jesus gave. This isn't something that we just said, hey, this is what we're about. No, Jesus said, this is what the church is about. This is the foundation, Jesus Christ. The reason we exist is solely to know Christ, to make Christ known. I can't say this enough for our church because so many churches, they start out strong. They start out strong and have, they're, they're committed, but then they get distracted and they take a left turn that's a right turn. They take a right turn or a left turn and they get off the main thing that Jesus has called them to do. I can't say this enough for Restoration Church. We have one foundation and that is Jesus Christ. Look back at this text. I want you to see these words. Actually, I want you to take your, if you have a pen, I want you to circle these words. Jesus said, I will build. Jesus is very clear with this. He says, I will build my church. See, number two for, this, two for us this morning is Jesus is responsible for the church. Jesus is responsible for the church. He says, I will build it. 
I will do it. You see, the, the survival of the church, the growth of the church, the resilience of the church ultimately is dependent on the power, dependent on the purpose, dependent, uh, dependent on the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. It is his promise, it is his purpose to see that the church does not fail. I mean, when we think about being involved with something in, in, that matters, hey, we have the opportunity to be involved with something that will never fail. I mean, how many of us can say that? How many of us can say our business is so strong it's never going to fail? How many of us can say that? Well, Jesus just said, hey, I will build my church. It depends on him. We have the opportunity to be a part of something that will not fail. Um, n- notice, notice that Jesus, he doesn't say it's, 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 not, it's not Peter. That's going to build the church. It's not the apostles that's going to build the church. And he looks at you and I and he says, you know, it's not the pastor's going to build the church. It's not, it doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on me. He says, I will build my church. It's Christ's work alone. This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 15, he says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. You see, yes, Christ, he needs missionaries. Yes, Christ, he needs church planners. Christ, he needs worship leaders. And he needs ushers and greeters and children's workers and small groups. And God needs and uses people in the church. God uses people. And we need people at Restoration Church to serve and be a part of our mission, to be a part of of accomplishing what Jesus is calling us to do. Yes, God can and use every one of us. He can and will use every one of us. But I want you to understand that the growth comes not because of us. It comes from Jesus. Jesus is responsible for the church. This is his work. And Jesus says he's through his power, through the Holy Spirit, that will bring about the growth and the maturity of the church. And notice that Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church. He doesn't say, I might. He doesn't say, I'll do my best. He doesn't say, let's hope it turns out good. He says, I will. He says, this is as good as done. When Jesus says, I will do something, it's as good as done. And you know, that gives me such confidence and excitement. That makes me want to go Billy Idol and start dancing with myself because I'm so excited because this is what Jesus said he's going to do. I mean, this should be, this should be passion and excitement for you and I because the reality is it doesn't depend on us. The Restoration Church, it doesn't depend on me. That is, there's a freedom and an excitement for that, that I can serve and be obedient to Christ because it doesn't depend, the church, his growth doesn't depend on me, doesn't depend on you. We can say, Jesus said, I will do this. I will do this. This is good as done. Praise God. Praise God that he uses people like you and I, and he uses our gifts, but he brings about the change. He brings about the, the, the difference. The visible presence of the church won't come up short of being built as Christ designed it because he said, I will do this. And he says, I will build. I will build my church. What does Jesus mean when he says, I will build it? Does that mean numerical increase? Numerical growth? Yeah, I think that's part of it. Does that mean spiritual growth and maturity of Christians? Yeah, I think that's a part of it as well. So how does Jesus, how how does he do this? How is Jesus going to build his church? Now, there's countless ways that Jesus is going to do this, that he will build his church. First and foremost, Jesus said he will die and he will rise on her behalf. He says, I will 
die and I will rise on her behalf. Jesus said this earlier. Uh, Jesus said, in, uh, Paul speaking in Ephesians 15, excuse me, in Ephesians 5. You want to pull that scripture up. In Ephesians 5, uh, Paul is talking about the church and, and he relates the church's, relate, Jesus' relationship to the church with uh, marriage. And he said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, Jesus is saying, Jesus is saying, I will die and I will be resurrected for the church. He says, I will do this for the church, for the believers. I got distracted on my notes. <laughs> uh, he says, first and foremost, I will die and I will rise on her behalf. Jesus gave up his life on the cross for the church. Don't miss this. He says, I will build my church. And he, he builds his church by pouring out the Holy Spirit on every believer starting from the day of Pentecost forward. Every believer has been filled with the Holy Spirit to be used for God's church, for the kingdom. <clears throat> How the Holy Spirit supplies the strength and the power that, that Jesus uses in us to accomplish his will through the church. He will build his church by giving believers spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about Jesus giving spiritual gifts to every believer to be used for the good of the church. He builds his church by ordaining structure and organizing uh, leaders and organizing <clears throat> structure to the church. He builds his church <clears throat> by commissioning the entire church to go and to preach the gospel and to be Christ's representatives to the world. Jesus builds his church by calling himself, by calling people to himself through preaching the gospel. And through preaching of the gospel, Jesus will call men and women from every tribe, from every nation, from every tongue to the church. Jesus says, this is how I'm going to build my church. I'm going to do these things, and this is how I'm going to do it. Jesus says, I will build my church. Thank you. There's even ice in that. That's good. Thank you. <clears throat> so look back at our text one more time. Look back at our text one more time. Uh, I want you to see this. Jesus said, I will build. I want you to circle these words too. My church. I will build my church. See, Jesus calls the church his church. The church is very personal to Jesus. See, number three for us this morning, what do we learn about the church? What do we believe about the church? Jesus loves his church. Jesus loves his church. We talked about Ephesians chapter 5. Paul writing about marriage, and he relates Jesus's relationship to the church, to the marriage between a husband and a wife. And as you look through Ephesians chapter 5, we learn that Jesus, Jesus uh, loves the church. Jesus laid down his life for the church. Jesus cleansed the church. He cares for the church. He becomes one with the church. See, Jesus has a very personal and loving relationship with the church. See, on a very personal level, <clears throat> if you were to come to Kevin, you were to come up to me and you say, hey, Kevin, I love you. Kevin, I care about you, but I hate your wife. I don't like your wife. I don't want anything to do with your wife. I like you and I love you, but I don't like your wife. You see, I'd say, you know what? I cherish my wife. <laughs> I love her with all of my heart. 
I would give up my life for my wife. She is such a major part of who I am. That if you were to come up to me and say, hey, Kevin, I love you, but I don't like your wife, I would question, not, question whether or not you really cared about me. I would question whether or not you could really love me, yet talk bad and dislike something that means so much to me and that is such a major part of me. How can you say that you love me when there's something so valuable and means so much to me that you don't care about? You see, the church is Jesus' church. He says, this is my church. He has a very personal relationship with it. And he's extremely jealous for it. And I don't think it's enough for us to say, hey, Jesus, I love you, but I hate your bride. That's not going to sit well with him. I love you, but I don't want anything to do with your wife. No, that's not going to sit well with him. Because that's his bride. He died for his church. He's not going to take us lightly. He loves his church deeply. So the church is his church. He loves it. He's extremely jealous for it. Look back at our text one more time. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Number four for us, I want you to see this, that the church is the hope of the world. See here, when it says the gates of hell will not prevail against it, the the gates of hell can mean two things. It can refer to Satan and his demonic cohorts. And so clearly we see (laughs) that Jesus is saying that the church will never be defeated by the devil. The church will never be defeated by Satan. And we believe this to be true. We say, yeah, the church will never be defeated by Satan. But the gates of hell can also represent the powers of death and dying. The gates of hell are the gates that make death look dominant and triumphant. As if Jesus is incapable of overcoming death and redeeming his people from the clutches of of death and hell and Satan. But Jesus says these gates... These gates of hell will not stop me from rescuing my people from eternal death and from hell. You see, the church is the hope of the world, not only because Satan can't defeat it, but in Ephesians chapter 10, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, says this, Paul writes, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This is according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, God's whole plan. God's whole plan is to use the church to reveal his awesome plan to humanity. See, we are the hope of the world. The the hope of the world, their eternal destiny, lies in the church. Jesus, Paul says that the manifold wisdom of God is to be made known through this church. Through the church. We talked earlier about the mission of God that he's given to the church of knowing Christ and making Christ known. And God has specifically chosen the church to accomplish this mission. He has specifically chosen the church to accomplish his mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known. This is a high calling that we have been giving. This is why we are to take the Great Commission so seriously. This is why we say, let's keep our foundation being straight because this is the hope of the world. The hope of the world isn't to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The hope of the world isn't to do good things for people. The hope of the world is Jesus Christ. And that is our message of the church. That is why we exist. And and the hope of the world lies in how faithful we are to that message. See, now we've, as we've described from our text this morning, we know how Jesus feels about his church. We know that Jesus loves his church. 
that he will build his church, that it's his responsibility. But I want to come back to our earlier conversation about the big C church and the little C church. You see, Jesus has described in amazing plans, in amazing ways, what his plans are for the church. But the question is, which expression are we to be focused on? This universal church that everybody, every believer is a part of, or the local body, the local church? See, what is happening in our culture today is because of these issues with the church, because of those complaints that we talked about, because people feel the church is hypocritical, because people feel the church is judgmental, because the church has faults, people say, I'm not going to deal with that local church. I'm, I'm going to be done with it. You know, I'll just focus on being a part of the, the, the global church. And, you know, hey, we're brothers and sisters, even though I don't really spend any time with you, even though I don't grow with you. I'm not going to deal anything with this local church. I'm just going to focus on the big C church. And we live in a culture today that has been using a degree that's been unprecedented in the last 2,000 years since Jesus came to the earth, came to the earth, where people are arguing, you know what, I don't need to be involved with a local church. I don't need to fellowship with other Christians. I'm just a part of the big church, and that's all that matters. In other words, people are saying, that because they are part of the big C church, because they put their faith in Jesus, they have no need whatsoever to be a part of the visible and local expression of the small C church. I mean, isn't it sufficient for us to be in the global church and not have to be in the local church? Now, as you read through the Bible, as we read through the Bible, there are many different reasons from the New Testament to challenge this thinking. And to state the case that we are to be involved in the local church. That we are to be committed to the local church. There's a fact that as you read the New Testament, every word of exhortation in the, in the New Testament epistles, every ethical principle, every theological, theological truth, every fruit of the Spirit is addressed to people who are active participants and living members of a local church. Everything that you read in, in the, the, about the Holy Spirit, about doing good works, it is written to people in the local church. There's a reason for that. There's, there's not the slightest hint that any New Testament author writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit could ever envision somebody living out their faith, living out their life as a disciple of Christ without being involved or completely unrelated to a local church. There's also the proof of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, that says, not neglecting to meet together as some have the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as the day is drawing near. I mean, there's a proof in the New Testament uh, uh, that all of the scripture, the nature and the function, the necessity of the church that the epistles write about, the epistles talk about Paul and Peter going in and establishing the the local church and setting up the, the organization and the structure and the leadership of the local church. There's a reason why he does that, because there's an emphasis on the local church. But I think the greatest emphasis for why we are called to be committed to the local church is found in Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says this. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. And he says, Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This verse raises two questions. Verse raises two questions. The first question is, if there is no biblical requirement to be a part of a local church, then which leaders should individual Christians submit to? 
I mean, if we aren't supposed to be a part of a local church, then who are we supposed to answer to and obey? This scripture seems to clearly say that we are to submit to and honor an elder body, the elders being the leaders of the church. So if there's no requirement to be a part of the local church, no requirement to be involved with the local church and to be under the leadership of a local church, then who are we to submit and obey to? Are we supposed to submit and obey to any leader from any church that has the term elder? Are we supposed to submit and obey to the leaders of Westboro Baptist Church? I mean, they would say if we're going to be Christians that we should go to funerals, uh, to, to soldiers' funerals and pick it at the funerals. Does that mean we have to do that because that's what they said to do? The second question that this raises when it says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. This verse says that church leaders, the elders, are to care for a specific group of people and they will give an account to God for how they do this. So this is a personal question to me. As an elder, as a pastor, am I accountable for every Christian in the Yakima Valley? Am I accountable for every Christian out there? For, how, for, for what they believe? For how they, they, they view the Bible? For, what they, what they, for how they interpret the Bible? For what they believe in the Bible and what they don't believe about the Bible? Am I responsible for that? Am I to give an account for every Christian, even if I've never met them? Even if we have strong theological differences? Even if they don't interpret the Bible as true like I believe it to be? Am I responsible for that? I want to acknowledge what I believe is obvious. I think the Bible is pretty clear that God's plan for his church is that we would belong to a local covenant expression of the little C church. See, Jesus gave us the little C church, the local body for our own good. Because in that local body, there's accountability, there's support, there's discipline, there's leadership, there's protection, there's encouragement, there's community. The, the, the little C church there is amazing things it does for us, and we're able to grow through our commitment to that local church. The local church is given to us for our own protection and for our maturity and our growth, as well as so we can encourage others around us. I want to acknowledge, yes, the church is made up of flawed people. And sometimes people screw up. I mean, I know I screw up. I mean, I know I screw up. I've done it. <laughs> you guys have seen me screw up. No, the church isn't perfect. There is not a perfect church. And there's not a perfect church in Yakima. Restoration Church isn't a perfect church. I mean, we have a pastor who falls off stage. We have a pastor, we have a pastor who doesn't know the difference between a liver and a lung and a kidney. He gets those all confused and mixed up. However, just because there's a flaw in the church doesn't mean we can give up on it. Doesn't mean we can say just because there's flawed people, just because sometimes churches get distracted, that doesn't mean we can give up on it. You can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, don't do that. I heard you say that. I mean, if, if, if someone can't have a flaw, if people can't have a flaw on them to be useful, then is there any hope for any of us? I mean, if we think we can only be a part of something that's perfect, well, what about us? Because I'm pretty sure that none of us are perfect. Yet I'm pretty sure we want God to use us. I'm pretty sure we want people to give us grace and forgiveness. And, and to love us even though we still screw up. And yes, even though the church is not perfect. Even though the church makes mistakes. 
doesn't mean that we can just say, I'm done with it. I'm not going to deal with that. I'm not going to work with it. Don't let Satan tell you that the church is insignificant or irrelevant or hypocritical just because there are flaws in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 describes the church as a body with many parts. And it says it takes every part of the, of the body working together for the church to be effective. Sometimes parts don't act right. That doesn't mean we don't need them. And every one of you here are a part of the body. You have a part of the church, and we need everybody to be a part of the church for us to be effective. To bring this to a close, I think we've seen clearly that what Jesus has to say about his church. I think we've seen that God doesn't just call us to be a part of the universal church, but I believe emphatically that God calls us to be a part of the local church for our own benefit and for the benefit of other Christians. As a worship team comes up, I want to close by offering you a few things that you can do today about the church. Number one, I'd invite you to commit to the local church. I know we live in a society that has commitment issues. We live in a society where people want to be free to do whatever they want to do. They don't like to make commitments. They don't like to have things that they're tied to. But listen, this is Jesus' bride. The church is Jesus' bride. Stop the casual relationship with the bride and make a true commitment to the church. Stop treating the church like some Stop treating the church like some ecclesiological buffet where you can come to one church and get one little filling, and then you go to the other church and get something else from the other church, and you don't really commit to any church. Make a commitment to the local church. Stop treating the church like a casual relationship where you come and go, but commit to it. Commit to the local church. We limit our growth and our maturity when we're not committed. And I'm not trying to knock parachurch ministries. There are great organizations across town that are doing the work of the ministry, that are reaching people for Christ, that are doing things in the name of Jesus. But Jesus called every one of us, first and foremost, to be a part of the local church. So commit to the local church. Number two, pray for the local church. Pray with humility and honor and faith. Pray for our leaders. Pray for those who are committed to being a part of this church with us. Pray for the flaws. Pray for the flaws in the church. And praise God for the things that are going well. But please be praying for the local church. Number three, serve. Get involved. There are so many ways to serve here in the local church, specifically here at Restoration. I mean, there's music, there's greeting, there's welcoming, children's ministry, security, technology, um, office administration, youth ministry, cleaning, ushering, set up and tear down. I mean, there's so many ways to be involved in the local church. And, and, and you know, the, the, the biggest thing that prevents the church from doing more is we just can't get enough people to be involved. I mean, we, we, have so, we feel God is leading the church in directions. We just need people. We need people to step in and say, I'm going to get involved. Number four, give to the church. Help support the efforts of the church. No, we're not all about money. No, I'm not going to take, no, I'm not going to make a huge emphasis and say you need to give more money to the church. But if you aren't giving, can I invite you to be a part of the church in that way? Because the church requi does require resources. 
We have to pay rent every week to be in this building. We're, one, of the, one of the newest things that we're working through right now is, is one of the latest needs for this church is we need to be able to have a ministry hub, an office space that we can work out of because right now we have this building on Sunday morning and now we have no office. My wife's getting tired of me sitting at the kitchen table every week. We need a place that we can have a presence downtown. And guess what? That requires resources. Requires additional resources. You know, if, if, if we were as generous to the church with our resources instead of just our complaints, I imagine the church could do so much more. And number five, finally, be the example that you want to see. See, get off the bench and get in the game. I mean, everybody wants to point out all the flaws in the church. Well, this doesn't work right. You know, you don't do this well. Well, instead of sitting there pointing your finger saying this doesn't work, get in there and solve the problem. Get off the bench and into the game. If there's an issue with something, be involved to find the solution. Don't just point out the faults, but be involved in helping us overcome. Because guess what? We're doing it for the purpose of of making Christ known. The thing that we're all called to do. Jump in and take care of it. Engage the problems with solutions to help us be more effective in making Christ known. We all are called to be committed to the local church. If you're not involved in a local church, can I invite you to commit to Restoration Church? To be a part of this local expression right here? We aren't perfect. We have our flaws. But can I invite you to be a part of us? To be, help us to be effective in knowing Christ and making Christ known right here in the Yakima Valley. Amen.